because startups are not easy and they're hard, at the end of the day, the, the most valuable thing you take away that can't be changed is, is what you become, right? Hopefully more courageous, more patient, more kind, more, um, more hopeful, in a lot of cases, more faithful. You just learn how to create and develop new talents, how to work with team members. There's no better place to do that in the crucible of a startup, and especially with the economic circumstances we've had in the last couple of years. It's hard in a good economy, but it's really hard in an uncertain economy. And when I look around at our team members and just see the growth that they have gone through, that's pretty cool. I'm Nate Henderson, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Built Incorporated. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the back end who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. I was proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried to begin. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Nate Henderson built a way for you to create 3D instructions animated with audio, text, and imagery. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy-managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With KiteWorks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the analytics for humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Nathan Henderson grew up in Saudi Arabia, where he actually met his now co-founder back when he was five years old. His wife grew up in Mexico, and as such, they love to travel internationally. They are married with three college-age kids, two at BYU and one on a church mission in Chile. Nate's hobbies center around his family, but on his own, he loves to scuba dive, hike, and stay physically fit. While he was at SAP, Nate worked on a concept to eliminate the paper instructions we are all familiar with today and replace them with 3D graphical instructions. The idea was conceived, but to really bring it to life, he and his co-founder needed to take it outside the four walls. This is the creation story of Built. If pictures are worth a thousand words, uh, then Built is worth a thousand pictures. In telling your listeners what Built is, if you're sitting at your desk or something and, and you can take a second, go to the App Store and just download Built, uh, in all caps, B-I-L-T. And, and then as I'm explaining this, it will make a whole lot more sense. Think of the many instances in our days, weeks, years, where you have to approach the question of how to. 
and you have to go to instructions, whether it's something DIY related in your home, how to use, how to install, repair, assemble, maintain, doesn't matter, all the way from DIY scenarios to the other end of the spectrum, which is professionals, electricians, mechanics, technicians, plumbers, etc. They also need training to work on products or systems. And Built is a worldwide platform that provides 3D guided, interactive, intelligent instructions anywhere in the world. So today we have nearly 300 brands, almost 10,000 SKUs, and it's used today in 172 countries, 12 different languages. These instructions are updated in real time anytime, but as opposed to paper instructions, which were never good, video is a good step in the right direction, but they're always out of date. You go onto YouTube and there's 54 different instructions for different products and which is the right one and are they still relevant. These are the instructions that, are, that we do in partnership with the actual brand. But these are 3D, they're guided, fully interactive. You want to know what a part is, you can touch it. And then, as I said before, we can update these instructions in real time, anytime. So it's a real revolution in enabling the world in the things that we attack that are how-to that require instructions. And, and that's what the Built Platform is. Uh, this was actually an idea that we started inside of SAP. And essentially a colleague of mine came in one day and was talking about how frustrating it is that we can go into movie theater in different places and see things that are completely graphics, CGI, and yet we open up products that have the same frustrating paper instructions. And isn't there something better in the world? And we worked on that kind of concept and idea just to see if, was there anything really better out there in the world, uh, recognizing that mobile phones had suddenly allowed us to do things in a very different way. And when we realized that there wasn't really anything that used 3D technology, et cetera, and applied it to a consumer space. We launched the, the idea, as I said, inside of SAP. It was an incubator effort. If you can imagine Clayton Christensen, who passed away several years ago, his writings about the innovator's dilemma, we faced that very directly inside of SAP. It was easy to get an idea going, or at least hatched, but then how to develop that into a real business when it was something that was very different from the parent company. SAP is a, a great enterprise software, but B2B play. But this started out as a B2C play, and I needed different methods, contract structures, sales go-to-market methods, etc. And so after a while, as we got going, even though I had great support within SAP for this, I finally had to go back to the executive team and just say, you need to let me spin this out. This bird is just not going to live inside the nest. And so in, in 2016, together with, uh, with my co-founder, Ahmed Qureshi, that had done some startups in between tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan and sold those companies, we, we spun it out with a co another co-founder that was a venture attorney. We spun it out of SAP in 2016 and, and have been racing for the stars ever since. Let's dive into what would be the MVP. So I know it was, you know, originated in a different company and now it's kind of moving out on its own. Tell me about that first version of the product. I'm curious where it'll start. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? For us, having built enterprise software inside of SAP, I had felt like I'd learned some good things and also some mistakes. And I'd become a big believer in start a very small, bold idea, but start with something very small so that you can iterate very quickly. The first version of it really 
the 3D piece worked, but everything else around it, the environment was duct tape and bathing wire. As a matter of fact, the other buttons that we showed users and we were doing the first testing, none of it actually worked except for the pure instruction piece of it, that, that you could go step by step and work through different instructions. And we had bolted together some pieces of technology that, uh, that SAP had and some other places and, and wrote some of our own uh, tools to make that happen. But all we wanted to validate was, can 3D interactive instructions, do they make enough of a difference in someone's life that it changes their behavior? Buying behavior, willingness to return a product, etc. And so the first one was actually an iPad-only version. It wasn't even smartphone. It wasn't Android. It was iPad-only in the first, probably for the first year, all the testing that we did was nothing but that. When we started, we literally went into people's homes. We have been into hundreds and hundreds of people's homes, watching them install faucets, ceiling fans, bike racks, about anything that you can imagine. Just trying to understand how we learn and what tools we, we should create to create an enabling and empowering experience. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks' level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks Solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. So then you've got to MVP. Tell me about how the product progressed and how you've, you know, matured it over time. And I think what I'm curious there to kind of wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with build. When we first started creating it, I had a, a strong sense of where I thought it was going to go long-term, the different phases. 
that it would be in. And that was largely because my background in school and manufacturing engineer, I had a fairly good sense as to, to the long-term roadmap, roadmap, but it was really, what are the steps to get from zero to one, two, three, four, et cetera. And a lot of that was, we would set out a roadmap and say, okay, this is for consumer durable goods. It's going to start out and then it's going to start moving to more professional type scenarios like tradesmen or technicians, uh, mechanics would need. We set out that, that roadmap, but then it's really, okay, set your, establish your assumptions for each of those phases and then work very quickly to just prove or, or disprove them. So that's really why we spent so much time in people's homes and even some business locations, which just trying to learn and understand is, okay, is the direction that we're moving in, is this really what is impacting people's lives? So initially it was just a ton of direct feedback and we even assembled hundreds of products ourselves. Additionally, as we started setting what, what, what we thought the uh, the core experience needed to be. We also started building in feedback loops. As you go through the built experience, we're grabbing analytics, not only to share with the brand about the customer experience, but also so that we can learn better where people get stuck, the types of things that confuse people, what things help them speed it up, what types of information, simple things like, when do you show a drill being used and when do you just show the screw going in? Th this was what we do there today. We just have, you would think of it as just piles and piles of learning that we've gotten over the years from both watching and then from getting data. Now that we, we're, uh, we're close to our 9 millionth user, and so we just have a mountain of data to understand, are we putting in the right features? Is this really what people are looking for? Are we truly enriching their life? Why or why not? So I, I hear you saying we, and I'm curious about how you went about building your team. And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Starting inside of SAP, we had a fantastic team that was there. And I, this is one place where I really applaud the support that I got in SAP. As we started moving into a that, that minimum viable product that we first launched on the iTunes store, I was fortunate enough to just get great support, people in the user experience design space that were really unique talent, people that have gone on to other places in Silicon Valley and it impacted the best brands out there. The challenge for me came when it was obvious that we were going to spin out of SAP. It was, okay, you're leaving a very comfortable environment where there's immense job security, but going out and doing a startup, is hard. Doing an early stage company is very hard, especially when you're an innovator in a space where you're going in to sell to clients where there isn't already an established budget. And as I had talked with others that had done it and my, my co-founder, Ahmed, that had done early stage stuff before, it became very uh, clear that in looking for the team that was going to really be the corpus of it for the first couple of years, it had to be people that <clears throat> very scrappy, very good at working with each other, highly competent <clears throat> and big risk takers, willing to just jump in almost uh, with reckless abandon. And, and frankly, there were a lot of people at SAP that when they heard I was going to spin out, were very interested in coming. But when I started to lay out what startup life was going to be like, immensely reduced salary, no guarantee of anything, lots of stock options, et cetera. There were a lot of them that looked at it and said, you know what, I just can't do that. And, and then there were others that we looked at that we, that we learned probably weren't set up for this stage. Small, scrappy, fast learning, willing to make mistakes, great at working in 
in a small team. And so that time that we had inside of, of SAP was great in that it allowed us to test uh, people out. Others you know, that were interested got to test what we were doing. And so when we spun out, we had a handful of people. There were a few that were the real instruction design leads that understood the technology really well. Mike and Danny that were just the real geniuses behind that. User experience design, I'm, I'm a huge believer in you design it first, then you build it. We had a small team. There was originally, there was, there was really only 12 or 14 of us. We were all working remote. And then when we made the headquarters here in Dallas, Texas, we started bringing things together and then started hiring from here. But, uh, but yeah, that founding team, I'm glad you asked, Noah. It is so important to get that right. Hello. Welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry. Goodbye. Don't be left out of the Analytics Club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. Let's talk about scalability. And this will be interesting given, you know, the origination of you know where the product started and then taking it out. I'm curious about how scale was approached. Was it, you know, was it built to scale efficiently from day one from a product standpoint? Um, or were you fighting this as you brought it out and as you grew? And then I'm also curious about scale organization-wise. So really wherever you want to take that. The very first testing experience we did, we actually did at a Home Depot store. I, I talked with a Home Depot store manager and laid out my vision and showed him our MVP. He was just enamored with it. And I asked him if he would give us space in the front of the store so that we could pull people off the floor. And if I bought dozens of barbecue grills from him, would, would he let us assemble them right there in the store and get, get data and feedback? And we did that. 
And we came away from that experience, just the, the feedback that we had gotten both from professional electricians, plumbers, et cetera, all the way to people that had no experience doing assembly. The feedback of what we created was so astounding, right? The net promoter scores were so high toward Built and the brand that we were representing, which was Weber. We came away from that and recognized we had figured something out and something that we thought was a secret, but we knew that Built had the potential to literally touch billions of people's lives. But in order to do that, you're essentially building a platform that benefits massively from network effects, right? The more brands you have on it, the more products you have on it, the more products you have on it, the more users are using it. The more users that are there, others see it and, and it becomes that flywheel. While we knew scale really was going to be the bigger part of the long-term picture, initially it was get the right fit so that we're creating a very enriching experience. Initially, we weren't worried so much about the scale part of it. It was make sure that the experience was the right experience and then figure out the commercial pieces of it. Because, right, if you can't make money on it, then, then it's never going to scale. And, and one of the things that I had looked at, we, we looked at some of these huge companies that had taken tens of billions of dollars in, in, in funding and venture capital, et cetera, but never really had a path to profitability. My co-founder and I, we said, we're, we're going to create this incredible experience, but we've got to be able to make money on every single experience that we do. And that way, if the unit economics are there, then this is something that we can scale. And so initially we focused on, on those pieces, but in, in the beginning, it would take us five weeks to create a really good set of instructions. Well, we're now to the point where it's taking us five to 10% of that amount of time. And in the next couple of years, we will be to the point where it takes us one-tenth of that as well as we develop this platform and develop an ecosystem that's going to help us proliferate it. So yeah, scale is a huge thing, but scale is also your technology, it's your processes, it's your people. And for the past couple of years, we've really been investing now in that scale the technology so that we can do it faster, scale process, we're gradually, as we're just naturally growing, we're having to now start thinking about the next phase of growth of our teams, et cetera. So, Nate, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? We have this really fun tradition at Build. When on Christmas Eve, we'll create a feed so that employees can see the reviews that come in. And imagine moms and dads are there Christmas Eve, et cetera, and you can put the kids to bed. And now they got to put all this junk together and they're dreading it, not looking forward to staying up till four in the morning. And all of a sudden they get these built instructions. And half an hour later, we'll get a review that someone will say, thank you. Thank you. You saved my marriage. I thought this was going to be a horrible experience tonight. And my wife and I did this together and it, we had a lot of fun and it's just, Wow. Thank you to the brand. Thank you, Built. You care about my time. It shows that you care. And these instructions were so thorough. They were so complete. We get that feedback. We're able to see that feedback and to see the millions of people that we've created a life-enriching experience for. That's that's the reward. Now, second, secondarily to that, I would say, because startups are not easy and they're hard, at the end of the day, the, the most valuable thing you take away that can't be changed is, is what you become. Right. Hopefully more courageous, more patient, more kind, more, uh, more hopeful. In a lot of cases, more faithful. You just learn how to create and develop new talents, how to work with team members. There's no better place to do that in the crucible of a startup. And especially with the economic circumstances we've had in the last couple of years. 
It's hard in a good economy, but it's really hard in an uncertain economy. And when I look around at our team members and just see the growth that they have gone through and what they've become in the process, that's the other half of it. That's pretty cool. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. You cannot be afraid of making mistakes. You have to be afraid of not learning from them quickly. But in 2019, end of 2019, we were growing triple digits, just crushing it. We, we, we had had some commitments from some massive global entities that were, okay, we're now ready to just go the next phase and it's just going to be massive and huge. My, my better judgment from my SAP experience was don't jump on that until you see, until you see the paper in hand and the cash in your account, et cetera. It's not that they didn't mean to do that, but we started doing some hiring just because it was the wave that was coming was so massive that I thought we've got to get a little bit ahead of this. And then COVID came and really flipped things on uh, on its ear and and all these companies suddenly had very different priorities going into covid we had to do some adjustments from a personnel standpoint because we were attuned too large for what we actually needed and being a little bit more patient was something that i learned from that process and maybe uh, a little bit more thorough in those processes because uh, you hate to get people's expectations up and then to dash them a couple of months later, and especially going into COVID. So if I had to do that over again, we, we probably would approach that a little bit differently. Now, now I want to hear I want to hear the passion in your voice for what you've built. What does the future look like for the product and for your team? We want to touch the lives of a billion people. It's not so much about, hey, that it's a billion people. It's when we see the response that people have of just, Wow, you saved my time. There's something that comes out of that, and that's it, it, it is a boost of confidence. We become better people, and we see that we have a tool, we have a solution, and a process that can just make every single person in the world just a little bit better at the tasks that they grab every day. And that will, to the mom with young kids, that'll save her 20 minutes in a day. And to, to the plumber, she may be good at five things. Now she's going to be really good at 20 or to the electric car mechanic that's jumping on a new vehicle. We want to take that time of, of training and enablement from being six months. We want to drop it down to literally four weeks. They can earn more money. They're more capable. Their quality is better. Customers happier. The company is happy. Everybody wins in that process. So we want to touch the lives of a billion people and just make them better at what they do through this revolutionary experience of, of intelligent instructions. We're nearing 9 million now, so we're about 1% of the way there. So we're exciting. Okay, let's switch to you, Nate. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. I owe a lot to my father, a great closet engineer, if you will. He never had the confidence that he could be, but he was a phenomenal engineer. And, and over time, became a great executive and just a great thinker, very creative, hard worker. But I, I, I was influenced early on by W. Edwards Deming, who was really the father of the quality movement that impact that really made Japanese manufacturing what it is today. Studied that stuff when I, when I was in college and, and really loved the principles that he taught. Clayton Christensen, that really 
created the the theory around innovation and disruptive innovation. I've read all of his stuff many times. Another one is Fred Reicheld. So Fred Reicheld is the father of the net promoter system. And what he was really trying to understand was how do we create loyalty? And essentially that's focus on enriching people's lives. And if you can enrich people's lives, they'll tell it, tell their friends about you and come back for more. And so much of the foundation that I created with Built was around that. We have as required reading his latest book, Winning on Purpose, is a phenomenal treatise of what can happen and, and what are the real world results for companies and organizations that focus on that golden rule, do unto others that Christ spoke about. What happens when we focus on doing unto others and really focus on enriching people's lives? So we actually, that's a required reading inside of Built. Before you can even come, you have to have read that and then we review that. We've got lots of others there, but those are probably three people that I would, maybe four of them, if you include first and foremost, Jesus that talked about living the golden rule. And then, like I said, Clayton Christensen, W. Edwards Deming, and Fred Reichel, probably the four principal ones. Okay, so if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? doesn't have to be a mistake. could have been something that worked pretty well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. One thing I would do differently is even though I've had quite a bit of sales experience, I took for granted what it's like to actually be a startup CEO. And especially when you're doing fundraising, we had to purchase the assets out of SAP. And we were very fortunate to have a great core of original investors or friends and family and just some great other high net worth individuals that were great believers in in, in me and Ahmed that supported us. But being a CEO, even for a small business, takes a lot of time. And and some of that's really important. And in addition, you could also call me kind of chief product officer. Um, that that That's my core background is, is just around the product side. And I probably would have gotten more sales capacity earlier on to j- just allow there to be greater focus there. Because as a CEO, you just get pulled into different directions. And uh, there are certain things that only a CEO can do. And that that's one thing I would do differently. And I would say to anybody out there is don't underestimate the amount of time that it's going to take for you to figure out your channel, right? How you're going to go to market, how you sell it, especially if you're a market maker, really creating an industry or a vertical, there's a lot you have to figure out. And and the first 80% is not the hard part. It's the last 20%, the last 10, and especially the last 5% that just takes so much time and effort. And uh, sales is a great place to have a little bit too much of. Nate, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice to give that person, having gone down this road a bit? I would probably recap for them other great businesses and and look at things historically and say, okay, regardless of your talent and your idea, look at historically how long this process takes. Because I think it's important for any entrepreneur to come in recognizing that we all like to hear and listen to the overnight successes but those are exceptionally rare. And, and, and the reality is most of the time when there's an overnight success, it usually becomes a very crowded market very quickly. And, and that success is very short lived. So a message of pace yourself, 
and have some realistic expectations as to around as to what that's going to look like so that you're there for the end. The other thing I would probably do is ask a lot of questions about their experience, how they like to work and operate, because I know some entrepreneurs, Noah, that they focus on just taking a company from zero to 10 million in revenue. And that's it. And as soon as they do, they sell the company and they go and they start another one. That's amazing. And it's incredibly mature when someone realizes that there are certain phases that they're best at. Now, some people are able to go the distance, and that's great too, but it it really takes a lot of self-reflection and maturity to sit and look at it and say, what do I really want to get out of this? And do I understand the fact that there are different phases? Reed Hoffman, in in his book, Blitzscaling, does a great job of walking through that, and and you've got the tribe and community and nation stage, et cetera, and what are the differences between those things? And all those are important things for an entrepreneur to to just understand so that they're better able to focus their efforts and understand what am I going towards? It's very, very rare for somebody to just stay with it and, and make this an intergenerational business. And that frankly may not be the best thing for you or your family. So I'll be listening to them and, and, and talking about those things just to give them some nuggets to understand. And then after that, we'd talk about product probably is, hey, what are you doing to iterate? What are you doing to get close to your customers? Know what they think and feel before they do. That'd be a fun, fun conversation. For sure. Oh, that's fantastic advice. I, lo- I love the way that plays out in my head. Well, Nate, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Built Incorporated. Thank you, Noah. Good to be here. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.